Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Gastroenteritis Blues. My name is Steve Lipman, joined as always by both of my colleagues here at uh, Gastroenteritis Blues International, Daniel Pone, Emily Cannell. Emily, your birthday was yesterday when recording this. Happy birthday from all Thank of you. us. Thank you. Applause come in here. Um, happy birthday. Um, and we were talking off mic. You said that you watched Harry Potter. Would you have a favorite Harry Potter? I don't know them, those films, but um, what, uh, which, which one's your favorite? Um, I don't know, maybe like the third one, but I don't, the books are just better, so I don't really know. Do you have a favorite character in those films? Um, one of the ones that fly, like flies around? I like Ron a lot. I think he's very quite funny. Red hair. Yeah. Red hair. Great. Dan, do you like those films or are they not among have the you four seen you've them, seen? Dan? Yeah. I've actually, so I have seen them because I think like most, well, I don't know, like most children my age, I read the books, um, you know, in like second grade and whatnot. Um, but I don't know. I wouldn't rewatch the movies or reread the books. They're fine, I guess. You know, they're okay. I've reread the books like at least seven times. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I do it for like probably annually. I reread them. Wow. Good for you. All right. On today's show, our very own Harry Potter, because he's a wizard with his reporting. Your uh, own Weitzman is going to be is going to be on the show uh, now of Fox Sports. He's been on the show, I believe, twice before, uh, which begs the question emily have you ever met him have, have you been on the show when your own's been on it's a great question um i think i have i think i okay. have okay yeah. i believe the last time he was on was during the simmons holdout and uh so maybe a year ago or so but your own's great uh your own just uh dropped a feature exclusive interview article with uh james harden so we'll talk to him about that process and, and some of the other reporting he does. So he wrote his excellent, does great work. And uh, he, of course, is the author of Tanking to the Top. Um, very excited to talk to him. That'll be the second half of the podcast. So if you want to skip ahead, go right ahead. Um, in the meantime, the Sixers, their winning streak has ended, but not before a couple of good wins. Uh, I think the best win of the season was against the Clippers. 
Um, they were down by 20. The guy proposed to his girlfriend in the middle of the court, and then they turned it around and came back, and uh, Embiid and Harden played really well. They beat the Clippers, basically the full strength the Clippers, just no John Wall. And then on Christmas Day, they played a bad first half and then came back and beat the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. Um, very fun to watch them do that on Christmas Day. Um, now, we're not going to talk about the report on Christmas Day because we're going to talk about that with your own, but so we're just going to step over that, <laughs> that uh, unpleasantness on Christmas Day. Um, and then they lost to Washington in a predictable loss that I, I believe was the only one that predicted because they, I think, always lose in Washington. I'm just happy they got out of there alive. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, of the games this week, is there anything you want to talk about? I'm, I'm happy, you know, they won eight in a row, did not get the, you know, the undefeated week in, in our purposes, but uh, they're playing well. Uh, Joel just scores like 40 points every night. Nobody ever talks about it. <laughs> like nobody talks about it. Harden looks really good. He's, you know, basically at like 23 and 12 right now. And, and I think the on-court chemistry is looking really good. I mean, they're playing well and, and, you know, I think that the arrow is pointing up and, and Tyrese Maxey is set to return on Friday. He's probable right now. That's what's listed and um, against the Pelicans. So, Emily, how do you feel right now? Uh, and, and any reflection on these games from the week? Um, I, yeah, I feel over overall positively. Uh, the, team, like, the way they're playing more, I feel like they're moving the ball more. Um, they're playing defense, they're, except in the first half of the next game. But other than that, um, they're just kind of playing basketball more like how they should and sharing the ball. I like that they're getting bench guys involved. Shake's been really good. Um, Tobias is still playing really well, still catching and shooting and not thinking as much. Um, so yeah, I hope that they can incorporate Maxi back into the, what they've got going and just keep, keep it going. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, they're, they always lose that Wizards game, so I'm not going to, you know, freak out over it. I think, um, you know, the one thing from that Wizards game was Tobias had been playing so well and he all of a sudden looked scared in the second half once the shots weren't going. And, you know, if he wants to, you know, have us tell a friend to tell a friend that he's a sharpshooter, then he's going to have to keep shooting when he misses his first few shots. Uh, the team's going to need that. A sharpshooter would do it. Well, so, what are we uh, supposed to tell our friends now? Right. I don't, I feel like I just. <laughs> I told all my friends and then they watched that game and now they feel misled. They're mad at me. Um, so that, that was know. a bad loss. I glossed over it, but that was a, it was a predictable loss because they were playing in Washington, but that was a bad loss. Like they, they fumbled well, everyone away played poorly besides Embiid yeah. and Harden, right. which, you know, I guess that'll happen some nights. I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to get hung up on it, but um, you know, the next game was a lot of fun. Obviously Clippers game was probably win of the year, but um you know, the next game was, um, you know, Christmas Day had you kind of edge of your seat early, a little anxious because um, they're down. They kind of fought back, fought back, and um, fourth quarter really pulled away. So, um, you know, they definitely looked good. Um, I think what you said about, you know, Embiid getting overlooked is correct, and, you know, we can talk about that in a bit, but um, – the one thing that worries me right now is Tucker. I, he looks really, really bad. We and then, talk about him. 
he needs to be a lot better. Like, like seriously needs to be a lot better. They need to like look into if it's even possible to upgrade that salary slot at the deadline. He can't, and it might not be because he's making the ML, MLE to do nothing right now, but he is really, you know, looking like he can't defend even decent players at this point. Whereas at least early in the season, he played some good defense and he's not taking the threes. He's missing a lot of close shots. Like he's not even close from like seven feet. He's, he's just missing everything. Um, and that worries me. That's the biggest thing that worries me, but I'm excited to get Maxi back. Um, I think, you know, they shouldn't have a problem finding a role for him, whether it's, you know, off the bench, as Doc alluded to being a possibility that I had floated out there before, or if they're going to start him, like, you know, and bring Melton off the bench. Either way, I think. Or bring know, PJ off the bench, yeah. Well, yeah, if they're going to go, I think there should be, a, they should experiment with a lot of three-guard lineups yeah. because they have four really good guards. Um, and so I would be really happy to see some of that get worked in. Um, and, you know, we'll see. I think, you know, the, the Wizards game, you know, is a little frustrating, but like, None of their guys can make shots. They're going to make shots. And and Beaton Harden played well. There's those are the guys who play well every night. But like, you know, Nyang's going to shoot better, and um, you know, Melton will shoot better, and hopefully Tucker figures something out. Like, I'm just it's just encouraging that we've seen a lot of good play from the role guys. They all had a bad night on one night. I don't think that'll happen that often. Um, and and Beaton Harden have been pretty consistent. And they went down against the Wizards in a game they always lose. They were down every game this week but they were down against the Wizards in a game they always lose. And, you know, they didn't win that one. They won the first two, but it was, you know, a third straight example of them, you know, not kind of hanging their heads when they get down, not, you know, showing poor body language. They fought till the very end. They got it close. You know, there was no instance where you as a fan felt like they were giving up. Like, I think we had a lot of those early in the year. So I continue to be encouraged by that. You mentioned PJ. The uh, the reporting, and, and I believe what he said, is that he has a dead hand. Now, uh, Emily, is this a medical term? I don't, not one that I know, but why, I just don't understand why we're playing a person with a dead hand. No, um, can't you do occupational therapy for that? He probably should get occupational <laughs> therapy. He needs some, like, upper extremity rehab. It's probably, it sounds like a nerve injury. Like, I don't understand. Listen, yes, yeah. So apparently um, they dive a little deeper and apparently it's a nerve injury in his hand. What nerve um, do we know? His hand nerve. I don't know. Get him off the court. He looks terrible. Um, <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know. But what, what he's saying is that he has a dead hand. Um, how long has his hand been dead? I don't know but he hasn't been playing well all year. Well, he's been he 37 all Washington year. Game. What'd you say? He injured it in that Washington game. Like where he no, no, the report came out over earlier. Christmas. That's not, oh, no. I didn't yeah. even it hear that. It was the Cassidy okay. report. So yeah. what happened in the Washington game then where he didn't come back in? Well, he was shaking the hell out of it. Right, I, I thought yeah. that's when he killed it more. He probably killed it more. Oh, it's, 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 it's like the murder hand now. We could be mostly dead. It's a murder mystery. We could be fully dead. I don't know, but uh, it seems like bad news. Um, I, I think put him, rest him for a while. Does he need surgery? I don't know. I, I, I'm, you know, this is not my area of expertise. All I know is that he doesn't look right. Julius Randle was absolutely killing him on Christmas Day, 
And every, everybody on Twitter was like, put Tobias on him. It's like, what's PJ's job? If his job isn't to guard like Julius Randle, then Jesus, what is he doing here? You know, he, on occasion, he helps on offensive rebounds and, and that's nice, but like. But he plays the four and he's so small and they're like, uh, so, like it's he's, bad. he's Listen, not a very helpful rebounding piece. I really in, think they in should. In comparison to other people playing his position. They should put him on the shelf for a while and figure out how to resuscitate his hand. I don't know what to do, but his fucking hand's dead. So do something about it. I, I don't know, but get the doctors in there because he's like shaking his hand awake. I, I don't know, but it's, it's bad and they need to do something about it. I don't know. Help him out. Um, speaking of the Knicks and uh, Tobias, uh, Ian Begley of SNY reported that um, the Knicks have talked internally about trying to acquire Tobias Harris. The uh, Tobias is from, I believe, Long Island. And, uh, you know, Tobias has been very good, very good this year for the Sixers. And um, I don't want anything from the Knicks. So I think this is a pretty easy conversation that uh, no, thank you. So Dan, how do you feel? Yeah, I agree with you. I just want to add that I think a team with Julius Randle and Tobias Harris, if Tobias Harris were to, you know, kind of fall back into some of his old bad habits, would be maybe the most unwatchable team in the history of the NBA. Like maybe more unwatchable than like 40 basketball. Like that could be that bad. So but they'd still sense, be on Christmas. You can watch them on Christmas Day every sure. year. No matter what. Oh, I yeah, that's true. I, I think that that would be kind of awesome but also just horrible and uh from a Sixers perspective I agree I don't really I don't really see the you know incentive to trade Tobias at this point when you know he's probably still gonna like the Knicks are probably thinking about it like oh you know it's a bad contract but you know he's good enough that maybe it's worth taking on that, that bad contract to get something small back in return whereas if you're the Sixers, you're already so all in on this year. You lost two second round picks by being so clearly, you know, violating the rules to sign PJ Tucker and Daniel House, who are not that good. And House is House doesn't look like he knows at, at all what he's doing. I I he has a lot of James Ennis in him. I have to say, Ennis was good. Well, yeah, but Ennis would also. But no, he does of, a lot of flailing around. Yeah, he did a lot of he did a lot of things where he occasionally looked like he had never played basketball, and then other times yeah. where he looked phenomenal. House has, he like he has too many moment. limbs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I don't see the purpose of you know just getting off of Tobias, and I don't really see what we'd get back. So, um, I mean, really, Tobias isn't a very good rebounder, and that's probably the biggest thing because, you know our forwards aren't rebounding. Joel is for as good as he is, is not that good of a rebounder. And they really get killed when he, you know, helps off when a guy gets beat. And, and really this wasn't, I don't understand. No one is ever, you know, helping him when he helps off of his man or even just sliding into box his man out. Um, so that's one thing that has been a problem among the fact that Sixers just don't have very good rebounders. Um, but that said, I don't think they're going to get like an elite rebounder back for Tobias. I don't know who on the Knicks, that would be and I, I I don't really understand why the Sixers would be too interested in this I mean I maybe I'm missing something maybe there's a trade that really works out but um, I I don't see how this works for both teams yeah 
Emily, any uh, interest in what the Knicks have to offer here for Tobias? No, not in particular, actually. Good time for me to ask you another question. Um, I meant to ask you when we talked about the Clippers game. You know, like that fella asked that lady to marry him on the court. You and Jordy go to a lot of games. Would you like, in a previous life, if he had proposed to you in that manner, if he had popped out of whatever he popped out of, Franklin's next to him, on bended knee, middle of the Sixers court, how would you have reacted? Obviously, you'd probably say yes because you love him in the moment, but deep down, how do you feel? I probably would have been okay with it. Yeah. Pretty cool. Fun. I like the Sixers. Like Giant Sixers like, fans. It would be dumb if he took me to like a thing that I hated, but mm -hmm. I love the Sixers, so that would be cool. There you go. All right. Um, last thing before we do predictions, before we get to your own, is uh, I feel like nobody's talking about Joel in any of the MVP talk, which maybe is fine, and maybe the only thing that matters is winning. Uh, I disagree, because it feels probably unlikely. Only one team wins, so who cares? Um, Joel is leading the league in scoring. Um, he's having huge nights, like, all the time, and I feel like nobody ever talks about it. You know, Luca just had this huge game where he had, I think it was, like, 60 and 20 and some other number. And ten. Joel a 10 and Joel had, I think 59, 20 and eight or nine against Utah. It was 50. He had 59, 59, 11, like nine and seven or something or eight and seven. Something like that. So a, a somewhat like equally preposterous line, preposterous line uh, in, in regular time, not overtime. Uh, against Utah uh, towards the beginning of the year. And it seems like nobody cared about it. And everybody's been having like a two-day meltdown over Luka. And it seems like there are just guys that, you know, like Kevin Durant said last year about the uh, Joel, uh, Giannis, Jokic thing. He was just like, people like Jokic and Giannis more than they like Joel. Like, it's just like, you know, guys like them and they don't like Joel as much. And that's just what it feels like. It feels like nobody in the media, in the national media, I guess, has any interest in giving Joel any benefit of the doubt whatsoever. So that's just what it feels like to me, you know, because the Sixers have been way better. They've just on a super long winning streak that it feels like nobody was talking about either. Um, right as the Nets were doing the same thing. Um and it just feels like, you know, I saw somebody writing about how they're on no, he's on nobody's like MVP ladder and, you know, his rebounding has been bad and he needs to just be better at it just by trying harder at rebounding, frankly, because there's no reason that he should be this bad at it. But um, yeah, so I just noticed this and wondered if you guys have too, Emily. Yeah, I've noticed it. I've seen, I don't even remember where I saw it, but I saw someone report like, Joel might not even start in the all-star game. And I'm just like, what? Oh, that yeah. too. They take three <laughs> forwards. So Tatum, Katie, and Giannis will probably start. Well, like, they should just make Tatum a guard for He handles the ball so much. Like, it, that seems such, such an easy fix. Like, Well, Steve, they only, they only make these easy fixes when they benefit players they like. It's true. 
I mean, DeRozan started as a guard last year, right? Because they wanted DeRozan to start. Right. And DeRozan didn't really play any guard in the first half of last season because Lonzo was healthy and Levine was playing. But right. It doesn't matter. It just goes back to the theory that the national media hates Philly and Joel and all of us. So. Right. I mean, there is, like, I've I've tweeted about this in, like, dumb little rants, but, like, the national media for basketball is really, really bad. They do a really bad job covering the game, and I don't mean, like, the Stephen A. Smiths and, like, like talk show people and stuff, but, like, people who are, like, Zach Lowe, perfect example, right? Like, people who are, you know whose thoughts are read through this lens of, um, you know, kind of like, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt that they are, you know, unbiased and, you know, extremely thoughtful in their, um, you know, in their analysis. And I'm not trying to say that, I'm not trying to single out Zach Lowe. I just think he's a great example of like, you know, someone who is, uh, I'm not trying to say he's dumb or anything like that, but he has like pretty clear bias, right? Like, I, like, is there anything to make it more obvious than, you know, changing his mind about yeah. the, you know, how first all NBA first team voting should be done as, you know, the players surrounding the conversation changed. Um, I think you, know, you can see consistently that the media is biased towards, you know, Nicole Jokic over Joel Embiid and has been over the last few years to the point where, you know, Jokic, who's actually won the award the last two years, doesn't seem to be having any, you know, fatigue. And he is now back in the MVP conversation. And Joel, who hasn't even won the award, but has been in the conversation, yeah. he's the one getting voter fatigue. Right. Um, now, I there's there could be a lot of reasons. There could be combinations of reasons. I don't have any problem saying here right now that Jokic being white and Joel not being white has is absolutely a factor. The NBA media is overwhelmingly white. And you know, especially compared to the proportions of the league. And, you know, Joel's not European. Jokic is European. Um, I think that, um, you know, another thing is uh, probably the bias towards, you know, some of these catch-all metrics that, you know, the people talking about them don't really understand at all. Um, we've had this discussion before on the podcast with MOC. with with Mike O'Connor and and, you know, they're basically nonsense and People don't grasp them. And I think, you know, one thing that doesn't help is that they get this, you know, air of legitimacy because, you know, one of the the biggest names that is behind them is, you know, John Hollinger, who, you know, created PER and, you know, is like the advanced stats guy in the national media. Meanwhile, he was like the least successful GM ever. Um, so I don't think it really proves their usefulness in that way. Um, and I think we're at a point where, Joel is not going to, um, you know, get that kind of national talk. And we just need to remind ourselves that it doesn't matter. And like, yeah, it's probably not likely they win, but that, you know, is kind of an indictment on the team and on everything and and him in, in some smaller ways. And um, the goal is to win. The goal is not to get compliments from Zach Lowe. The goal is not to have an MVP necessarily as nice as it would be, or to, you know, think have John Hollinger, you know, have John Hollinger's metrics really like your, you know, your team or, 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 or to dominate first take that, that day. Um, the goal is to win a championship. The Sixers 
really haven't gotten close in a way that, you know, you know, to, to be fair that Luca did last year in the playoffs that he, you know, he made it to the conference finals. The Sixers have not. Jokic was in a Mickey Mouse conference finals, but he was there. Um, like the Sixers need to win. And yeah. I don't really care about the respect they get. I want them to win. They haven't won. And um, that is really more important. That's really what matters. All right. Agree with all that. Um, Emily, what's the standings? Okay. So I che- double checked them today and they were kind of all, I had them like messed up, but I counted and I think they're right now. Um, so over the past two weeks, Steve has gone six and oh. So big, big jump up. Me and Dan are good. We both went four two. But right now I'm 17 and 16, and then you guys are 15 and 18. So we're combined under 500. Emily's the only one over 500. Barely. Yeah. Do you remember that one season? It was the it was the um the season we lost to the Hawks when we were all just killing it. And it was like, you had to like, it was like a ballsy play to pick the Sixers to lose a game. Oh yeah. I missed that. That was good. <laughs> I mean, I don't miss that season. That season was kind of a pain. No, that was, that was the, that was the Simmons season, but I miss I missed when I missed when a loss was like a, that was a risky play. Now it's like, ah. I'm uh, putting this out there, but we should come up with a thing that we win and lose at the end of the year. We for, say that for, every year. We say it every year. We never do it. But I'm telling you, it's a good idea. <laughs> All right. This week, there's four games. Odds I get it wrong, very high. Sixers play <laughs> Friday night at New Orleans, back-to-back at OKC. Then, uh, and then that's, uh, OKC is New Year's Eve. So they all have to kiss at midnight. Then on Monday, they go home uh, with New Orleans. And then Wednesday, home, Indiana. Very good, Steve. Thank you very much. New Orleans, back-to-back, OKC on the road. And then home, New Orleans, Indiana. What say you, Dan? You know, I don't think they're going to lose too straight. I think that they will win in New Orleans, and I think they'll beat the Thunder. So I think they win both legs of the back-to-back. I think they then lose at home to the Pelicans on Monday and win at home against Indiana on Wednesday, so 3-1. and one. Emily? All right, I'm going to say that they lose to the Pelicans at, in New Orleans, then they beat Oklahoma City and then they beat the Pelicans at home, and then they beat Indiana. So three and one, but lost to the Pelicans in New Orleans. I've got three and one with Dan's permutation. So I've got beat the first New Orleans game, beat OKC, lose the second New Orleans game, and then beat Indiana. That's what I've got. Um, For, go ahead. No, no, you go. You go, Dan. Please. Mine was a change of topic, so I want to hear what you have to say. Change it. Well, I was just going to say, while we wait for your own here, yep. I just feel the need to share with you guys that I actually watched a movie this oh. week. Oh, what was that? I watched Glass Onion, the new Knives Out movie. Thoughts? It was pretty good. 
I like. Hey, I watched that last weekend. I also watched it. Yeah, and nice. you know what? I, I never saw the first one. Oh, I like the first one though. Do you know who was in my was in Knives Out too? Yeah, your girlfriend. Here. My girlfriend. Wait, what? Fiance, right? My no, no, From no, no. His my movie. my uh, my former co-star, Madeline Klein. Wait, oh, from yes. wait, what? Wait, hang on. Her, her on-screen boyfriends include Dave Bautista, Steve Lippman, host of the Gastroenteritis Blues. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, the next thing you hear will be us with your own Weitzman. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once in a lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. All right, we're back here with Yaron Weitzman of Fox Sports. Uh, Yaron, of course, is the author of Tanking to the Top. Yaron has been on with us, I believe, at once or twice. I'm not sure. And then, Yaron, I've interviewed you for the site about um, your book, Tanking to the Top. I interviewed you. Uh, it's one of those moments at the very beginning of the pandemic. I think it was like March like 20th. That sounds about 2020. right. Yeah. yeah. We were on the phone, and it was a very odd time in life. And I remember that. And uh, I read your book and then I remember sending it to my uncle, who's a big Sixers fan, and feeling very unsafe about how to sanitize it and send it to him um, well, safely. Yeah. Um, but he lived and we're all good. You um, just, uh, that was my whole, it's funny. So it's a tangent, but it's funny. So the book did fine. Um, it, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen in normal times and people sometimes say like, oh, pandemic, everyone was reading, which again, is not necessarily true because people didn't have as much time. But like, I remind people, the book came out, like you said, at the beginning time, it was before, so March 17th was the day, 2020. So right. the Rudy Gobert game was March 11th, right? So this was really like early, like again, couldn't get to the post office. Like the things that we kind of all learned how to do uh, totally. in the middle. Um, 
then it wasn't. I couldn't send the book to producers, like the uh, the uh, publisher, like couldn't access the books. I was sending my own, like I was packaging it myself. And I remember being like, no, this is, uh, I didn't go, this is Colin Cowherd's producer telling my wife, like, I got to try. I'm going to put the mask and the glove on and go walk there just for the chance, but, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, so it's funny. It's, yeah, interesting times. It's crazy. Yeah, that was not so fun, but better to think for that, sure. I guess. But uh, it's a great, it's a great book and, and, you know, people can go and get it now safely uh wherever <laughs> books are sold so yeah it's the best um so recently you published a uh an article a feature interview with james harden sixers guard um yes on fox sports and uh, it's very detailed and it's a real sort of look behind the curtain at harden a guy who doesn't do many of those uh you know very very few uh which you which you wrote about in the story what just overall stood out to you most uh, in your time with Harden uh, sitting down with him? Um, well, one of the things that stood out to me the most is in the lead up to sitting down with him was just how, um, I don't know if I've told this, but how easy it was to do the interview, to get the interview. And I don't mean easy, like, unless that's not easy, but I got, I have no relationship with James Harden prior to this year. I don't really have a relationship with him now. But really, like, I didn't, he didn't know who I was. Uh, we had nothing. I never covered him before. I probably ran a couple stories here and there, but like never done anything extensive. Um, I'm in, I live in New York, but it's pandemic time, so there's no overlap in that stuff. You don't talk to these guys. Um, but the Sixers were in Brooklyn for a shoot around at the beginning of the year. And I just went up to him and said, like, hey, I had these kind of questions. Would love to do a story. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Talk to my guy, pointing to the Sixers PR. Uh, and I think Sixers PR was pretty uh, shocked. Happily, not upset, but just like, very surprised because most guys uh don't say yes to that kind of stuff on his stature and he didn't know me so i found that interesting um which i literally just went up to him and asked um so i found that interesting so and that to me was sort of revealing in a way because it's kind of he knows the questions i'm gonna ask give or take for the most part right he has an idea maybe not but gotta have some idea i kind of told him beforehand and i sent him a note um that's how it worked if you like i had to remind him a few times he said yes but once they say yes that's only step one of like 12 steps to actually getting the interview secured. And you don't sure with, guy, with some of the top players, you don't know until you're actually sitting down across the table from him. There's always like those can think at any point. Um, so yeah, so that, that stood out to me. Um, what was interesting. I mean, I don't know, like stood out. He made me, it's not connected. It's all connected. He, I had to wait like an hour for him and the like, say we were scheduled for like two o'clock in a, Toronto off day. Um, him and PJ Tucker were shooting shit for like an hour and a half while like I was in the waiting for the room, which is probably a bit of a power play there, you know, um, which is fine. Um, but then when he came in, he was really engaging. Like turned his phone upside down, which again sounds stupid, but that's something that a lot of players don't do. Like put his phone down on the table. Mm -hmm. um, and what stood out to me in talking to him is like, I, and I wrote about this. I was sort of prepared for the whole. I don't care about X, but let me tell you actually, right? I kind of knew that would be something he would do a lot of. Um, but he was honest. That's what I was really stood out to me. He was, once he got past like that initial preamble of what people say is wrong, this and that, or that doesn't matter to me. But um, he was honest. And I, what's, what's actually surprised me most um, in a way is the reaction afterwards is I think, and I'd be curious to hear your guys, like hearing from fans and other reporters, people seem to have found the story endearing, or not endearing, sorry, found um, the, his answers. They found that the profile of the interview, the story made him come off more endearing in a way or more human in a way, um, which I actually wasn't sure if that was going to be the case. But there's still some defensiveness and some of the stuff which you can nitpick about, like, not some jumpers or elimination games or it's not all my fault. And I just thought it was – I think it's interesting when you guys are open. And I think part of it is that 
a lot of these um i'll say a-list stars right you can we don't have to do top top 25 guys a-list star nba guys aren't um they're not so open these days and i understand why but they don't do you know they don't do many of these things where they sit down and actually answer questions tough questions not to say i'm and all but like you know i asked them stuff direct straight up totally. but, uh tough questions in an open way and i think people want to hear that stuff yeah well i think there's something inherently human about him agreeing to it in the first place and sitting down with you and yeah. answering those questions and he can seem very inaccessible just in general um especially to us we didn't follow him in houston for all those years yep. and so it's like the, the fact that he was willing to go deep with you and and uh, i guess grant you access to some of the people in his life like i think that where you're getting some of some of that he came off endearing in a way might be that you know the fact that yep, for sure that it that it exists at all you know yeah it's, i mean it's funny i've said before i'm oh, sorry i I would use this interview, like anytime I try to pitch PR people going forward, I would use this interview as an example of like, hey, here's like, you guys aren't, no one's, I'm not a reporter who thinks, and I think we talked about this around tanking to the top, right? I'm not a reporter who thinks anyone is required to speak to me. Like, I don't care. I mean, I do, but I, I really, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I, I can do my job without it. Um, but I do think these guys lose something when they don't do it. It doesn't mean talk to everybody. It doesn't mean everything, but I do think there's something to be, there's a, there's a benefit to them. Obviously, I'm saying this because it benefits me, but there's a benefit to these guys to talking to and not doing just a Players' Tribune piece because nobody cares about those, but like talking right. to somebody and letting them ask the questions that like, and I, I'm always confused that these guys don't want to do it because, you know, don't you want to answer? If they're, they're seeing stuff on first take, don't they want to give their thoughts like why Stephen A at first take is wrong, why they're not a choker, why this or that? Like, I, I know I would. So I'm just confused. Like, why wouldn't you want to just do that and answer that question that way? Which is a failing of, of hinkies i think we talked about which is like <laughs> like a very sort of periodic check-in about sort of just the way he wanted things to go which was not to answer some of the blowhard stuff but just just to simply like state of the union like what yeah, his messaging exactly. wanted to be you know yeah exactly i get it yeah yeah and i think you know to your point about you know a lot of people thinking hard and you know came off a bit more endearing from that interview and, you know, I think one thing that stood out to a lot of people was, you know, people took, had some positive takeaways about his relationship with Joel Embiid, and that had people feeling pretty good. So segue to Christmas yeah. Day, um, <laughs> you know, Adrian Wojnarowski comes out with a report that, you know, if Harden were to leave Philly, which, you know, it seems to already be in his mind, and, you know, those rumors had been floated a bit earlier, um, even before that report, that, you know, He's interested in returning to the Rockets. I think we saw um, even uh, as recently as today, I want to say Dave McMenamin had something to say about it in relation to the Rockets possibly keeping Gordon and being interested on in going in on Harden next year. Um, and and it, it was like, it, I don't think the exact wording was like, if it doesn't work out in Philly, but just if he doesn't want to stay in Philly. Um, and I think there were some some notes there about how, you know, Harden has a really good relationship with, you know, Tad Brown and with Daryl Morey, but, you know, it's a work in progress with Embiid and with um, Doc Rivers. And the Embiid part was at least, you know, I think for me, you know, something that I had been feeling good about until I read that. Um, so I guess, you know, from, you know, from what you can gather, from what you, you know, from what you know, you know, why do you think, you know, Harden and his camp, you know, would leak something like that on Christmas Day, obviously biggest NBA day in terms of watching games of the regular season, um, when he can't be extended by the Sixers right now, and you know free agency isn't for a while, and 
really they were on a seven game winning streak. Things seemed to be going pretty well. So, okay. So that, 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 that was a weird, that whole situation I found interesting and a little weird. So there's a, a couple of things that I guess I'm going to pick some words, be, choose carefully, but I, I don't think that was leaked. Right. I don't think like, I really like, I'm not saying, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think that was leaked. I don't think that was like a conscious, um, conscientious move where like James Harden had somebody close to him and James Harden, by the way, doesn't have an agent. Um, he has mad, he has people in his life who are managers. He doesn't have an agent. Um, that's something to keep in mind a little bit in terms of not, and those guys are plugged in and they talk to aside from me. I'm sure they talk to other plenty of other plugged in reporters like the Woges and chefs of the world and stuff like that. Um, so that's that was weird. So I don't think it was leaked, right? That that has been a rumor. So James Harden, like, I'm not gonna do the thing where I heard it, but I heard it for a while, like going back even last year, right? Like, you know, oh, Houston, I think people, but this is, you never know with NBA gossip sphere and it's a game of telephone with people like, is it real? Or people saying, you know what I think it happened? I think he's going to try to go back to Houston and uh, Rafael Stone's going to get him back and they'll, they'll get Daryl back. You just never know, right? But this has been something that's been whispered about in the NBA ether for, I don't know, going back to Brooklyn times. Um, so that's where that, so that, that started for a while. Um, in terms of, I guess I'm all over the place. So we go the Embiid thing. The Embiid thing, the stuff I wrote, like that, I 100% believe that. And like I said, so Daryl has the quote in there about no one superstars have ever got along better. Of course, he has to say that because Daryl only runs their team. And also, his superstars are all James Harden anyway. Like, who are the other superstars? Like, it's all going to be, who is he comparing it to? So James Harden and Chris Paul, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, right, whatever. Um, but I checked with people who, like, I, and again, I could be being played, right? But I checked with people who have no reason to do so before I wrote that, being like, hey, I'm calling, and this is what I do. So, like, if I can, I'm calling this, if I write this, am I wrong? And I was told no, right? Like, is, is this wrong? And I was told no. I think I wrote that in the story, right? That I checked with people off the record, too, who could be honest with me. Um, so I, that's, that's off the court. On the court, 100%. Like, when I wrote, even when I wrote the story, and maybe that's what it was alluding to, and maybe the details weren't there. I think something could be missed. But on the court, it's definitely a work in progress. Though, even in the week and a half, whatever, when was my story published? Two weeks ago? Like, in, they, they seem to have taken a giant step, not just forget winning games, but they seem to have, um, and the, the, the melding of roles seems to be clicking a little more, right? Where like Joel's the number one scorer, James is really a point guard, um, figuring things out. Like, they seem to be working well. Um, there's that. I'm just going all over the place. All the speculation about James Harden and his future, like I find it all, it's all speculation. I'm sure it's true. But this whole Sixers team, nothing we say, it, it's all relevant to the playoffs. Like any guesswork we do, it's all relevant because the playoffs is going to determine so much of this. Like, it's not just, it's going to determine James Harden, Doc Rivers. I don't know, maybe down, I'm not reporting anything. They're like down more. Let's say they lose in the first round. Let's say they go through a cold streak and they play Cleveland and they lose. Like, would anyone be shocked if they lost in the first round of Cleveland in a six-game series? I'm making this up, right? In a 4-5 matchup? Um, I don't know, right? And how does that work then for Doc or Daryl when the ownership group that, you know, is really uh, desperate and interested to get out of the second round? Um, if they make the finals, like, is James Harden going to bolt? I'd be shocked. Uh, you never know. But, like, to me, it's all this this group specifically and this team is one of the teams really like the, the cliche of nothing matters until the playoffs like it's for this team more that that really applies so we can guess we can speculate but i just the the emotions and the Sixers, Sixers fans don't spend on anyone right with Harden last year with Simmons two years ago right what happened to the playoffs that has such a uh, a strong impact and like that matters so much more than the four months whatever six months before that so it's speculation. So yeah, I, I you know I I would 
James Harden, I think it's pretty open out there, like in NBA world. He wants to go back to Houston at some point. Does that mean uh, to sign a one-day contract? Does that mean a one-year deal when he's 40 years old? Does that mean this year? I, I, who the hell knows? He probably doesn't even know yet either, right? I, I really think that's the case. I think his answer was pretty obvious. Like, he didn't say no, but he seemed pretty stunned um, by the idea. Like, it, it was clear to me, aside from doing my own reporting, but it was clear to me that that wasn't like some uh, strategic leak that he was expecting to happen, right? In your story, you were t- going back to like the Harden and Embiid situation. Um, if they're having a good interpersonal relationship off the court, but it's the on the court work that thinks that they might foresee him leaving the Sixers ultimately, did you get any inkling from your story? Did that come across in anything that he said about working with Embiid? Like, obviously he wouldn't say it outright. Did you get any idea of like what kind of role he would rather take on? Like, if that is something that they're working on, like what is the point that they're working towards? If you got any idea from talking to him? Yeah, no, that's actually good. And I should like things that stood out to me. I thought he was also pretty honest in that. Like, I think there, I even a quote in there, right? Like when I came in last year, Joel, 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 and that was hard for me, right? I was kind of surprised that he was said that and said how like that was hard. And he kind of wants to go back to being James Harden, whatever that means. Um, because also he's not fully doing that right now. Um, so yeah, I think that's definitely hard for him. And this is like. He's far from the first um, superstar to struggle with the aging process. Like this is the oldest story in basketball, right? Like these superstars, an aging superstar is the hardest thing because they think of themselves as the alpha and at a certain point you're not anymore um, on your own team and also with an ecosystem. Um, and he's still really good. Like that's the part of the, like, he's still really, really good. Uh, Joel means better. I, I don't know if James Harden would admit that, but like, I don't know. They're playing NBA players who wouldn't say like I'm the best player in the league, and like guys who aren't good at all. So that that's okay. It's more about how they go about playing. Um, so I have any inkling? No, but like and again, the playoffs is going to be the key part because let's say the first bad game he has, like that's going to be interesting, right? The first bad, the first game where he maybe has 11 points on I don't know two for nine shooting, doesn't get to the foul line because his three and his three's not falling, right? And they lose him uh first take is all over in the next day and you know it's all same old james harden like how does he react to that the next game does he kind of go into a shell does he try to take over the offense try to put people wrong like that to me is going to be the tell in terms of where he's at or can he kind of just go with it and keep doing his thing um so and by the way i'm saying james harden like a big part of that's on joel and b too i'll focus on james harden like that's on joel and b you can be the alpha the number one guy he deserves to be but you know, maybe don't take passive aggressive shots at James Harden and press conferences um, being like, you know, the offense is moving really well now. We have to keep this going, stuff like that. Like James Harden would hear that stuff. Um, I don't know, James Harden, no one's from James Harden's camp and James Harden did not tell me anything that like that stuff bothers him. Like that was never brought up to me, but I just, I don't know, being a human, I'm sure James Harden sees those quotes or when Joel and B, like Joel, he's very honest in press conferences and it's great, I guess for reporters. And I like that as a, you know, it, it's, and fans probably like it, but it, it's on him to be, sort of the leader of the team and that's never been his strong suit right being like a leader and bringing the team together and kind of seeing this personality needs this and this personality needs that and how can i bring the most out of guys and how can i adjust a little bit to melt with these guys should say he, he did adjust with ben simmons but just yeah like that's not his strong suit um so it's on him as well to kind of figure out ways to make the partnership work you know you mentioned uh, i think earlier early in your story uh you describe in detail Harden after game six against Miami last year, um, sort of going underground and being unreachable and, and heartbroken. 
um, and sort of a very vivid uh, recounting of, of Harden just being so upset over the game six loss. And I'm just wondering how you square that with watching that game when he <laughs> looked like he just would have rather been anywhere else. You know, he just looked like he didn't yeah. give a fuck about <laughs> playing in that game. So I'm just wondering how you, and, and, and we talked about after your article came out on the podcast, like, there just isn't a satisfying answer that he can give you to that question. You know, sure. obviously, <laughs> obviously it's your job to ask him that question, but like, and he almost says as much, I believe to you, like there's no answer that he can give. And I almost wish that he would just say like, listen, it was a bad game. There's nothing I can do about it now, but like we have to win now. But like, you know, he talks about sort of uh, the Joel, Joel, Joel stuff, or, you know, if he mentions the hamstring, it's like, but he also had, some really great games in that playoff run. So I, the effort part of it as a fan or for Sixers fans was the hardest part to watch, especially that Mm -hmm. second half when he just, so, so it's hard to reconcile uh, he he and his, his circle talking about how heartbroken he was about the loss when it seems like he could have at least tried more in that game if it meant that much to him. So how did that come across to you? Yeah, I don't disagree. I would, I would, I think my take on it is sort of like the despondency. Is that a word? I'll make it up if it's not. But like sure. the, that, that, like that, that had sort of hit before, like in middle of game six, before game six. Like he was, that was already the beginning of the retreat, right? That was sort That's of fair. my, that would be my take on it. Like just sort of not knowing what to do and just like, and it got, and I'm not, by the way, it was, it was an off performance. Like, and that's why I asked about it. Like, yeah, no, yeah. The effort, what are the numbers? Two foul shots and it was in the set, the whole second quarter. Did he not two foul shots in the game, zero in the second half? What was the stat? The, the stats are ridiculous, Something right? Like, like um, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was ridiculous. So I think that was sort of what happened. Like, I think he just like, it's almost like the chip self-destructed and like didn't know how to react, right? Like this is not going well and I don't know how to react. And, and, I, and I'm sure that also led to like the uh, his emotions after just knowing like again he he knows how he played. These guys aren't idiots, right? Like they right. they know how they played. And he he even if he was trying to lie to himself, he can pick up a box score, right? It's not even like it's not even like yeah, one of these like you know well, the LeBron's last game in Cleveland or whatever. He had the triple double that like he had they lost and he looked like he looked horrible, but he had a triple double and that gave him the Celtics. So you could say oh how was he bad like. The, right. the, the box score wasn't if you just look at a box score whatever, no, of course. whatever the points were like there's no lying so that would be my that's kind of how i understood it but it's, it's, yeah. it's a good question that's that's sort of what's so interesting is that like you saw this guy sort of last year this this i'm using repeating this word but this alpha um completely just again it's like you know self-destruct uh in the middle of a playoff series yeah so you know shifting gears a little bit you know I want to ask you about Doc Rivers, you know, Sixers fans in general. They love Doc. Yeah. Not big fans of him. We, I think as a podcast, we've been probably, I mean, we're not big Doc fans either, but we've been, I think, maybe a little bit more defensive of Doc than most other people, um, just, you know, based on some of the successes the team has had. That said, I think our stance is, you know, if they got rid of him, we wouldn't be super upset. And a lot of times if they kept him, we, we wouldn't be super upset, depending on when you ask us. Um, I don't think that, you know, we've talked about this too, like the the fans tend to project how they feel onto the players. 
onto Daryl because a lot of fans like Daryl probably for his, um, you know, maybe better media savviness than Doc has. And, um, you know, they want to think that, you know, they don't like Doc. These guys don't like Doc. And I was wondering, you know, what sense you have, you know, how, obviously Woj talked about, you know, the, the working, you know, the work in progress relationship that Harden has with Doc. But, um, you know, what is your sense, you know, the, the Sixers players, you know, how they feel about Doc and then also, you know, how Daryl feels about Doc and, and, you know, if he, you know, didn't like Doc for some reason, you know, is it, you know, does he have the green light from ownership to move on from Doc? Obviously there's a lot of money involved in that and ownership hired Doc before Daryl. So where does he kind of stand in the, in the organization there? The Doc thing's funny. Okay. So everyone, I call it like, you know, two layers removed from the Sixers and, you know, the inner circle, whatever is convinced that, Doc stinks or everyone hates him. Daryl doesn't like him. Daryl wants to fire Everything you would expect, right? Um, and then people closer will say, no, we like Doc. And, you know, Daryl doesn't have an issue with Doc and yada, all that stuff. It, where, what's the answer? It's probably usually somewhere in the middle there, right? I, I, I actually have trouble. Like, I'll make reporting calls all the time. People, you know, just fix their stuff. Sometimes I, I think I have a decent um, reputation of knowing some sticks or stuff, right? So, the people like will ask me that Sixers. Oh, I've heard this, and I'm always like, that's not what I've heard. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being played. Maybe things, are, but it's not what I've heard. Um, so does Daryl have? I, I so to answer your question, like, can they make a change? Yeah, I think I bet you can. I've never spoken to Daryl about this, right? But I bet we can. Like, I would guess his view of coaching is not one that says it's the most important thing. Um, I bet you can find quotes of him like Sloan Conference or stuff like that, or even just anything talking about how coach. Not that like coaches don't matter. But that probably like, and I would probably agree with this, coaches matter, but how many are difference makers, right? So what's the difference between uh, Doc Rivers and uh, I don't know, Tom Thibodeau? Maybe it's a bad example because we don't like him. And I don't know, another decent coach, uh, whatever. I can look at the standings, whoever it be, right? Um, Mike Malone, whatever. I make up guys, right? Like guys who are good coaches, but like, is there a difference? So like, yes, Folster, if you want to get one of those guys like that, Folster, whatever. People say, let's say Nick Nurse, now Toronto can't win a game, right? So like, I would assume... I would bet that's where Daryl sort of aligns on that, that like that's not the biggest um, the biggest thing. And his job is sort of more roster management. And I think he, he he's pretty hands-off in terms of how, um, like I don't think he's micromanaging um, rotations, schemes, things like that. I think he's pretty hands-off. Um, um, like you're talking about uh, in the story, in the stuff in the story, we're talking about how, James and Joel would meet with Doc and talk about how to work things out and stuff like that. And I, I think that, I mean, I hope it's on the record, but I asked Daryl, like, do you part of that? He said, no, like he leaves Doc, he lets Doc do that. Like that's Doc's domain. We trust him and Doc has great people. And there's, if Doc wants numbers, there's people, middle people can do it, all that. And not that him and Doc don't talk, right? They, but like that's coaching domain. Um, so to answer your question, like, I think that's kind of my read. Do the players, I don't, I don't, I have no read. I don't, I don't know about the players like i don't know that they i would assume they're fine i've never been told either way that they like him or don't like it so i don't know i mean i would assume players seem to respond to him that's sort of always been his thing in his calling card um and like you said there you can construct plenty of um plenty of like if i was making the pro doc case you know tobias has got a new role tyrese max has gotten better hard and beat things working a little bit um the anthony the anthony melton is looks great with them and finding a role like i can you can build Jake Milton now seem to maybe turn the corner. Um, like I can build it. I can build the case anti as well, but it's, to me, it's not like he's this egregious, awful coach. Um, 
and like I don't know, yeah sorry on the backup five stuff is a bit of a mess but that's I don't know, that's always been the case so what was it dark bread whoever you know get Popovich and you're like will it be any difference I don't know um so that's kind of where I'm at at that but like if they flame out in the first round would I do I expect them to come back no no one's told me that but I just like that's I, I mean that's just kind of NBA logic and knowing how the ownership yeah. group operates and as a as a quick follow-up to that I mean I think you know when we talk about fans kind of projecting you know things they like onto onto Daryl, things they don't like onto Doc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the perfect examples are like, oh, the Sixers signed DeAndre Jordan. Well, that's a that's a Doc guy. That's a doc. <laughs> and we always say, you know, like Daryl does control the ro- the roster. Obviously, like you say, you know, he and he and Doc talk, but you know, it's it's kind of frustrating. And I I want to get your take on it because you know maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe all of these people are right, and you know. All of these bad backup five signings, these are Doc guys. He he wants them and and you know they she talks to ownership and ownership tells Daryl, go work it out. I don't know, but to me it seems a little hard to believe that every signing we don't like is a doc guy and every signing we like is a <laughs> Daryl guy. I mean, what what is the What's the give and take here between those two of them controlling the end of roster spot? I think no, I think it's together. I think they work together. Like I think I was in media day where Daryl um did he give those immediately gave Doc Rivers credit for bringing in Montrez Harrell? Now maybe it was like 3D chess, right? Um, because that hasn't worked out. But I, yeah, I remember also Daryl Morey, somebody who like, I think to this day, he still swears that the Russell Westbrook deal was made. The, uh, the Houston Rockets, the Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook swap, which was not like a deal. Like he still goes down with that one, says like, no, that was me. When like everyone knows it wasn't, right? So maybe there's like, you know, maybe... Like there's uh, someone who has like double secret access that I don't have that with you otherwise or that way. But like Daryl's pretty consistent with that in, in terms of not making making sure people at least think, if not understand, that like they're working together and on the same page. Uh, again, I could be being played, others could be played, who the hell knows. But I, I go closer to you. Now, I, again, plenty of people say I'm wrong. It's like I could be wrong. And for people who like come close to knowing, not like not just people, not just fans, right? Um, so plenty of people say I'm wrong and that I'm just having, maybe I'm just not getting the good stuff, which is very, very possible. Um, so I don't know. And then to kind of come full circle on it, why do you think that James Harden agreed to do this interview? Like, do you think he caught him on a good day? Did he just <laughs> I'm like, find like, what was it? Did it so by the way, so what would you say? Do you think I like my face? I'm going to see at least I can find his quote because his quote was pretty close to that. Uh, and I tried putting it in and my editor cut it out. Give me one second. I know this, this is good uh, podcasting. Uh, oh, we do this all the time. Okay. Uh, I'm here. Yeah. You had some questions that you were going to ask me. I thought you were a nice guy. So I gave you my time. That was, yeah, <laughs> look at that. All right. Nice. That's that a good question. So, yeah, that is. Yeah. I guess I saw kind of, maybe you did like my face. That was kind of your question. Um, <laughs> I have a face that says I'm a nice guy. Yeah, I, this was at the end. I asked him like anything I missed, anything he want. Like I do that sometimes at the end of interviews. Be like anything we didn't talk about that you want me to know. And yeah, the answer was I don't know. I don't know what you're gonna ask me. So I'm here. You had some questions that you were yeah, gonna ask me. I thought you were a nice guy, so I gave you my time. Yeah. And then I said, did I live up to it? And he said, oh, we'll see. <laughs> wow. So uh, yeah, so I, again, I, so that's that's all I got. That's. Uh, more on that, I don't. I don't know. I don't. Sometimes I don't know. that's all it takes. It's a nice looking, yeah. looking nice guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I uh, okay. Our last question, my last question, um, uh, unless you guys have anything else, is I non sequitur to this stuff. Uh, the Kyrie stuff. You were very vocal about <laughs> earlier in the year. You wrote about it. Um, yeah. 
uh, as a Jew who follows the NBA, who writes about it, who podcasts about it, I was uh, especially dispirited by what was going on and um, not a big fan of the documentary he put out there, just personally. <laughs> um, and uh, It was the editing for you. It was the editing. It was a little choppy. Um, yeah, I agree. Long-winded. Uh, yeah, a little long-winded. So I guess I'm just, I don't even know if I have this formed fully, but I thought the work you did in and around it and uh, your speaking out was very helpful and great, and I uh, thank you for it. But I guess I'm having a bit of a weird experience with it where now... He, they dragged him sort of kicking and screaming to apologize finally when they went into his wallet and, and suspended him without pay. And then he's like, all right, I apologize. So then he came back, they, they brought him back and he's playing again. He's playing very well during this win streak. And now it's just like, look, look at these Kyrie highlights. And it's like, I don't certainly believe that his opinion or or what he's consuming or any of that kind of stuff has changed in any meaningful way and i kind of think that whatever he thought then is likely what he thinks now and all of that kind of stuff because i just think it would be a little naive to think that the slap on the wrist that he was given then and and you know the instagram apology that he provided is any sort of like sea change that has happened within him and and all of that kind of stuff uh, if that's what he was like putting out in the world and then defending multiple times you know which was incredibly gross um so i guess the question is like well it's also the other thing that i run into is like well what did i want what did i really want to happen it's like he apologized so what what's supposed to happen to the guy like he retweeted this thing and then he was like an asshole about it. So what's supposed to happen? Like, you know, where is he supposed to go? You know? So this is kind of what happens. And, but I feel very icky about it when I see like house of highlights tweeting his sick handle. And it's like, he's a great player and they're playing great. And I'm also duty bound to root against the Nets because of Ben Simmons. So that's also in there. So um, yeah. So what's your experience like now? with the Kyrie stuff now that he's just uh, no longer a documentary enthusiast and he's just a <laughs> basketball player. So yeah, for this that's a good being. question. So first I like the word though, actually I, I'm going to steal this because I like how you use phrases, like the stuff he's consuming. I think that's a key part. So I'll come back to that. So, cause I think that's the key thing. Cause I agree that has not changed. I think that's the issue, right? More than the opinions. I mean, those become your opinions, but that's the clear. And if you can look at his Instagram, um, the accounts he follows on Instagram and what they're putting out. Um, and you, you, and like to me, I come back, I think I, remember, I don't remember if I wrote this to me, like this is all very easy. Like I can explain what, Ky what happened with Kyrie here very simply, right? Which sounds uh, like I'm talking down, but I just can't. But so I'll come back to that. But like, yeah, I found it really hard. I found it really hard. You know, my experience, like that was one of the, I remember the first few games there, like I was like, when he was back in the middle of the whole hailstorm, like pre-suspension, post-tweets, like I was at games, like I felt like it was it was depression, like I felt sad, like it just an angry. I was just like down, like I didn't, I couldn't talk, care about basketball and like Kyrie stuff, and it was more about that nobody else is caring. That's the part that got me right. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the other people. thing. The response from other people is what, because like okay, so there there are lots of bad people. I'm not, I should say bad. Kyrie's a bad guy, but people with uh, opinions that hurt, right or uh, or do uh, hurtful actions, is that a better way to put it, right? Um, sure. 
and uh, and you would like to think people then um, kind of show solidarity to people who've been hurt by those actions, right? And that was not happening. And for me, it was like kind of screaming at the wall there. Um, and even to the point where like, there was somebody, and there was a Nets assistant coach who came up to me, who I know a little bit, and said like, yeah, I want to apologize to you. He doesn't do it. like, I'm, I'm sorry. I know it's really hard for you. I know it's like, my guy doesn't mean anything. Like he, it was in a nice way. He wasn't defending it. But like, and that like, I think I told, I think I ended up texting being like, that made such a difference. It sounds dumb, but just like to hear one person acknowledge it. Not that like I represent all Jews, but just like, it was hard. Like those few days, it was really yeah. hard. It was, and so part of the reason I don't have a full answer to your question in terms of how I experience it now is like, I needed to, I got away from that. Like I haven't been to a Nets game. I think the last Nets game I went to was um, where I asked the question, the last one where Kyrie gave the press conference, the first press conference, right? I think I asked the question about like, hey, pick and choose. And he gave some bullshit answer, kind of revealing himself that, he wants to be able to say what he wants when he wants and not have repercussion from it. Yes. Um, yeah. Which was gave away the whole game. Right? Very like, famous cool. answer. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so after that, that might have been the last Nets game I've been to. They had road trips. They've been away. But like, I needed to unplug. So like, I just couldn't, like, not because, like, I can't look at Kyrie Irving anymore, right? Um, but I just needed to, like, decompress. I told my editors, like, I need to not write about the Nets for a minute here also. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And I, I haven't gone to a Kyrie press conference yet. Like, I haven't had a thing where like i'm there and i have to ask him about um about um you know pick and roll coverage and like is that gonna make me and i'm sure i'll be fine with it or whatever but like yeah i, I found that yeah it was really hard so that you asked my experience it was really hard and hurtful and the lag again it's a lack of it's it's and I, this was what i was always tweeting and like seeing more of it made me become more vocal about it like the lack of care that people seem to have towards um combating anti-semitism was what was hurtful Right. right. And I don't think, and to me, the whole, I mean, I wrote this like that Kyrie and anti Semitic, you know, like I don't give a shit. Like that whole thing was so stupid. That, that whole conversation is so, uh, I don't know, it, it oversimplifies the whole thing. It, it, besides the point, like it doesn't matter what someone thinks or not. Like, I mean, I guess it matters, but labels are dumb. Labels are too simple. And like no one's, what does that mean? It's like, you ever, we've all had that where you tell your uncle he's a racist. Oh, I know, like, no, I'm not. And like, it doesn't get, because then you start arguing about, how many Jews they know, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, no, you can't be at a stuff like, cause like I have a Jewish agent. I love him or, well, yeah. like, but it's not the point. The point is you share harmful, you, you promote anti-Semitism, anti-Semitic tropes that are dangerous and that historically have led to deaths, right? That's, and that's like the point I was trying to hammer home the whole time. Like there's a, there's a lot of random, there's like a specific uh, direct chain of events here that have happened for thousands and thousands and thousands of years based off people doing what Kyrie Irving did. Doesn't mean Kyrie Irving's responsible for death and, if he just said, oh, my bad, I didn't realize, fine. But, like, what's happening is he he wants to be a scholar and he thinks he's a scholar. And to him, that means watching Instagram videos. I think even when the earth was flat, he said he saw some – he did his research on Instagram, right? Like, that's an incredible – to me, that was always the most incredible line that was underplayed. Like, forget that he thinks the earth is flat. I could – if he said he read that in a book, that's different. But he said he learned the earth is flat by doing research on Instagram. Like, that's an, that's an incredible sentence, right? right? Like, the idea of research on Instagram is, a, that's like an oxymoron, like that phrase by itself. Um, so he's on that, he's on his account, and these accounts are, and that means a whole separate thing, but their accounts are like, you know, very, there's, there's an issue now in terms of certain uh, uh, politically, well, you know, from super lefty black uh, politically inclined accounts where there's issues with Jews on some of those, right? Um, and not that Jews they don't have their own issues or stuff. Um, and they're sharing like Farrakhan and other accounts, right? And that's who's being put in. That's what Kyrie's seeing. And if you look at Kyrie's accounts that like Kyrie is following, you'll see all those, right? Um, 
So, I mean, that's how it's happened. And I have no doubt that, I mean, he probably didn't watch the movie. I know he said he did. I don't think he watched the movie. I don't know. So now I'm rambling. But just, yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard. And I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out for the rest of the year as I kind of start covering the Nets as a uh, basketball team. Yeah. Yeah. So, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say real quick, I mean, you know, it's it's a bit of like a sad full circle circle here because you were our first guest and on our very first episode back, you know, during COVID, you know, that summer we talked about anti-Semitism. That was, you know, the, you know, Deshaun Jackson right. time. Um, and whether it's Deshaun Jackson, I think Steven Jackson, Ben Simmons' sister, just like from everywhere. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, I know, you know, you can't say this your own because of your relationship with, you know, people around the league. But I just want to say real quick that I think, you know, Kyrie Irving is really dumb. Like, just as like, you talk about, you know, how he wants to be a scholar and stuff. And, um, you know, when, when he describes, you know, his ideal view of, you know, his free speech, where he can kind of say what he wants, and everyone leaves him alone. <laughs> it's a, I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what free speech is, which is, you know, the people around you also have free speech. So when you say, that's things, always a thing, yeah, exactly. using your free speech, they can use theirs to disagree with you, to tell you they think that what you say sucks. And it doesn't mean that you're being oppressed. It means that other people are voicing their opinions just as you get to voice yours. Um, and, you know, if you are if you don't like what they're saying about you, well, then maybe you should reflect on the things you're saying because these are people with their own thoughts that are, you know, you know, using their own rights to kind of stand up for something and to, um, and to, and to kind of, you know, share what they know and what they believe. And so um, I think, you know, he's, he's, as much as he wants to, you know, come off as this really smart person. I think the Instagram research and the everything he says, everything he's always said has kind of always, uh, and before it got to the whole uh, anti-vax, anti-Semitism stage of things, I think a lot of people in the NBA world liked to defend him, even with the bizarre flat earth stuff and stuff like that, which I always thought was just off, like, because I think it's a clear uh, not to not to you know say that they're the same severity but there's you know there's a clear path down you know conspiracy theory rabbit holes that are just nonsense and you know getting towards more yeah I'll push, that's, it, that's why i want to question sure. everything once you start, that kind of stuff once you yeah. St- yeah once you start i mean again so like once you start on conspiracy theories i, I I'm, t- I'm not making this up i've been uh joking to nba reporter friends or not nba friends being like whatever for the past two years before this I would say whatever odds you could give me that there will be Kyrie Irving will tweet out something anti-Semitic within the next few years, give me those odds. I will take them. <laughs> Not because I think it's anti-Semitic. Because, uh, wait, like, this is a good place for a DraftKings ad. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go Because <laughs> once you're dabbling in conspiracy theories, it's just that's yeah. where they end up, right? So, yeah. like, it, yeah. to me, it was this was very predictable. Like, I'm not... I'm not making this like a product. Like, I wish I got, like, I've been joking about that. The other thing I want to add, I should say, talking about people not caring, like I mean, people being big, Joe Sai also handled this. Like a, it was, the whole thing was nonsense because yes. tweets out, yeah. nothing is big, nothing matters more than this, but then he doesn't spend Kyrie, but then he decides to become the arbiter of what, like I met with Kyrie and he doesn't hate Jews and now we're talking to ADL. Like he was also exactly. flying, just making all this shit up, not knowing what he's doing, not actually caring, just doing PR. Right. Like right. I don't want to just have a Kyrie, right? Like just all of it. Like, and he's mm-hmm. the one where he could have, he was in, He's the only like he's the one who could have made done something in the beginning and also not then like become the arbiter of uh Jew hate, right? That was just that was weird too. So I don't know the whole thing was a mess. Yeah, I mean there are these like I wouldn't say like corners of the NBA, but frankly, it's it's any industry. These just happen to be famous people. Like it's also entertainment, like there's there's actors, there's comedians, there's 
there's plumbers, there's, you know what I mean? Like there, it's literally any industry, but these are very famous people, but that make you feel sort of gross sometimes when you're following it, you know? And, sure. and of course, and of course there, there's a, a lot of reasons that we follow it and, and enjoy it and love it and go back to it every year because there's so much more great and, and there's a central theme and arc that we love, but like, Last week, you get a fucking Woj notification that Miles Bridges is is on his way yeah. back, and your own you don't have to comment on Woj or, no. or any of this shit. But like, you know, Miles Bridges, who was like a party to a, a domestic violence run in, or it's like, <laughs> what the fuck are you writing, man? Like, like, can you like look yourself in the mirror, buddy, and like, you know, put down the phone with his agent and just like have some self-respect and you know there's like videos on instagram of Lamelo going over and high-fiving bridges at a game and lebron's there and it's just like man what are what are we doing you know so there's just yeah. like you know th there are different corners of 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 what we end up dealing with here and and, and it's just you know so you know like i said it's not just the nba it's it's probably anything that you're gonna turn on you know, like, if, like after this, I'm going to watch the NFL game. And it's like, well, what the fuck am I watching there? So, you know, so. But no, but I mean, now, now, but now we're more, more a party to their thoughts. You know, social media, these guys are sharing thoughts on all types of things yeah. or not, which is, again, this is like, you don't want to do this shut up and drill. I really don't believe that. I really don't. Um, but, but, but well, I want guys to talk, but they should just understand what they're saying beforehand or be clear yeah. about it or just understand what you're doing or what you're diving into and all that, you know, it's interesting. I don't yeah. know. Well, we like to end on a low note, so I'm glad we did. <laughs> um, and uh, your own. All right. So listen, uh, what can we promote for you here? Uh, obviously the hardened pieces out there tanking to the top, which we cannot recommend enough. What else can we plug for you? Anything? Uh, yeah. Check out Fox Sports. I think that's it. I don't know. What else? What else? Uh, nothing. Nothing else to promote. All right. Well, What's your Twitter, your own? Yeah. It's uh, it's my name at Yaron Weitzman at Jew on Twitter. There it is. Um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, great to see you. Thank you again for doing this. Uh, it's always great to have you on, and uh, we hope to have you on again soon. Um, and yeah, enjoy the rest of your vacation. I really appreciate it. Good to see. Thank you, you guys. And my boss, are listening. I'm not on vacation, but no, thank you guys. I uh, <laughs> I, pre I appreciate it. This was fun. Always fun. Thank you. Good to see you, man. Thanks. See ya. Uh, and that's it for us. Uh, Steve J. Lipman, Gastro Blues Pod, Third and Girl, DA Pelts 13, Drew's not here, doesn't like your own. Um, the Gastro, Drew said we changed the name on YouTube. We changed it. Just say, just, you, we, you change it every Blues, week anyway. It doesn't matter. You make Gastro it up. Gastro Blues Show, live on YouTube. <laughs> and, I know uh, it's not that. I know it's not that. But that's it. Hey, Happy New Year, guys. Happy Love New you. Year. Happy birthday, Year. Emily. Thank you. Um, and that's it. Be safe and be great. Bye. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. 
Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. 